Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose is focused on educating, empowering, and investing in women to support them with harnessing an entrepreneurial mindset to create the change in the world for the greater good. Through this series, we connect with women from all across New Zealand to inspire, teach, and share their pearls of wisdom through storytelling and sharing. I'm Catherine Vandermeulen, the founder of Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose. Welcome back to Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose. This afternoon, we are joined by Susan Goodfellow, co-founder of Left Field Innovation. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Kath. So who is Susan Goodfellow? <laughs> Interesting question. I, I was nearly going to ask. Everyone you. laughs at that I one. Know, I was going to ask my husband, and it's funny, his answer was very different from mine, but I'll give you my version. <laughs> Look, I think I'm a person who, you know, generally um, likes to keep things pretty simple, Um on one hand, um, you know, family first, um, you know, with my husband, we raise, we've got two boys and our focus is really on growing these good young men um, to, you know, to really think of others and not just themselves, which at times can be challenging. So having that, you know, that strong family base is, is, is critically important to me. But I complicate things because I am a very future focused person and I'm, I tend to spend time thinking about what could be. And if I see opportunities, I want to see how I can make them better. I get bored with, you know, the steady state. And um, I, you know, have a desire to be involved involved in, with tackling and solving challenges and moving things forward. So, you know, it, that can bring its challenges as well. Um, and I think my background has been involved in, um, you know, managing large projects, taking them from the drawing board through to construction in, in my past life and so I sort of have the ability of taking that big picture idea that I might have around solving a problem and breaking it down into implementable steps so you know that's sort of how I am in my head um, but you know generally I, I, I kind of like quite a simple life perhaps that's why it's the contrast and balance. So you mentioned before about having a future focus and how sometimes that tends to complicate things. And I think generally women by nature tend to complicate some simple <laughs> things that you're talking yeah. about. How do you find that future focus um, piece that you tend to complicate, complicate? Can you explain a little bit more about well, that? Well, I think um, if I look back, and it's always easy to look back on your career and look at the roles that you've been in and then look what's occurred in my working life. You know, if I'd just been satisfied with doing the job, but I'd always look at something and think, well, this can be done better, and then be really proactive in turning that into something better, which created a lot more work and a lot more stress, but actually a lot more reward. And sometimes I think to myself, why do I do that? Why can't I just be happy with, you know, <laughs> the, the basic lot? But no, I always just see the option and the opportunity and really want to and often and, and I've been very fortunate in my career to have had bosses um, say go for it and let me go and it's been really rewarding so I think you know whether it's you know working in Hong Kong for years and urban design projects and engaging with communities and creating new spaces or ecological projects in China you know it's all about making them better than just perhaps you know the the the, the status quo so yeah, it's been an exciting journey and I've certainly learned a lot. And I guess that's one of the key mindset traits of an entrepreneur is seeing something and going, this, there could be a better way or 
you know, really being being proactive and looking at something at a deeper level. Yeah, and I think, I, absolutely, I, I think it is. And I think the challenge then is making, well, is, is, is those around you sharing in that vision. Um, I can get super excited about things. Um, and fortunately, I have been around people that see, see it as well and, and support me or just say go for it. And I think if I'd have been in an environment where I'd been sort of capped or my wings have been clipped, I, I would have really struggled. So I have been fortunate that I have been able to fly over the years, which has been great. And that piece of, around being supported is such a crucial element to this because when you are going out on a limb sometimes, mm. tell me more about the support that you've had on your journey to, you know, through your time of a call to act, a call to adventure yeah. uh, around founding left field innovation yeah. and how you were supported on that journey well it's interesting that it, you, know, you say a call to adventure <laughs> I think now I can look back over the last three years since we sort of ste- I stepped into left field innovation or founding it that um, it has been an adventure but it started very much with a call to action because I was really really concerned um, and just a bit of backstory in terms of where it came from. I was involved um, returning from Asia after 10 years. I had the children for a few months at home and then I said, I need another big project. And I got involved with um, a sustainable irrigation water scheme development in Canterbury that was really looking at enabling climate resilience around food and fibre production. And that was Central Plains Water. I became involved in 2011. Prior to that, I hadn't been involved in the agri-sector professionally at all. And I think maybe it was my fresh eyes, maybe my design background, but I could see some real challenges with farmers and the choices they had around land use options that was both sustainable from economic and environmental terms. Um, you know, we were seeing a lot of monocultures of dairy dominate a landscape across New Zealand, you know, and that was largely due to dairy being, a, you know, the best return per hectare. Uh, and those large cooperatives that made it easier for farmers to step into that place. So my call to action was, you know, how do we change this model? If we, if we cast our minds into the future, we need a diverse range of sustainable land uses, you know, across our country. So ha- how do we change that? And it was working with groups of farmers that I had this light bulb moment. You know, there's so much public pressure saying, you know, you've got, you've got to get away from dairy and you've got to, you know, have more, you know, plant-based and this and that. And talking with farmers, I realised, hold on, this is a really complex process. You've got to understand the market, what the consumer wants. You've got to develop the food product and understand, you know, things way beyond the farm gate. And I could see an opportunity for an entity to actually take this on and develop end-to-end solutions for for growers across New Zealand. Um, so, So that was a sort of a light bulb moment about three and a half years ago, and that was uh, the, the founding of what we called a Future Foods Initiative. Um, and we had a 10-person steering group that said, how do we solve this problem? And we took about nine months <laughs> of, you know, do we do a new food product, you know, a new plant-based beverage? And we're like, no, that is not going to solve a really systemic problem at scale across New Zealand. We need an entity. Um, which became the social enterprise of left field innovation that really takes that, you know, goal of 100,000 hectares of sustainable land use by understanding what the global consumers want, those consumers that care about uh, food production and and environmental impacts of food production, they care about nutrition and health, um, 
what are the attributes of those foods that they care about? What then can we grow in our landscape across New Zealand that has those attributes? And then what high-value food products can we create from those? And then tell that farmer's story. And I think it, it's, you know, probably for someone not involved in the sector, that can be kind of like, what are you talking about? And it is really complex because most businesses just deal with one part of that. You know, it might be, you know, a science business dealing with, you know, the how to grow in the agronomy or, um, you know, the environmental impacts or nitrogen leaching, or it could be, you know, startup companies creating these really amazing food products, New Zealand made, but then you look at it and it's like none of the ingredients are from New Zealand. They're all imported from around the world. And so we're trying to tackle this whole end-to-end process. So I think um, it's been quite quite a challenge, but, um, you know, we're really clear on our ambition around that call to action, 100,000 hectares of sustainable land use, market-led, you know, historically, New Zealand is not good at being market-led. We often think, oh, yeah, what can we do? And we'll do it because it, we can grow it and then go, oh, who's going to buy it? Well, that's not the way to run a business. So we've got to be market-led first, you know. So so that was the call to action. And it, it's, you know, maybe it sounds straightforward just sort of laying it out there like that now, but it took some time to understand it's actually a new business model a social enterprise that will continue this research and development for New Zealand for the long term. Uh, and that's what we're really passionate about, you know, going forward. Um, so it's been an interesting journey three years on. Can you describe a bit further about what sustainable land use actually means? Well, sustainable land use, uh, you're looking at, you know, the impacts of whether it's plants and animals, you're looking at the impacts of things like fertilisers um, to, 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 to help those things grow, you know, your, your, your pastures, your crops. Um, what are, you know, effluent that's emitted from, from the, the stock? What impact does that have on our soils uh, and our waterways? And that's the big thing, you know, that, that our production impacts and how we farm um, it might not have a, an impact in one day, but over time it has a cumulative impact and, you know, various things like nitrogen, um, you know, from fertilisers and from effluent trickles through that soil profile, through through the ground, into the deep water aquifers and can cause contamination. So sustainable farming is really where you, you're only putting on the land what the plants or the animals can take up so that you're minimising any degradation to the environment um, in the short or the long term. And, you know, and, and that also talks about, you know, the, the impact of the carbon footprint and things like that as well. I love how you've described it as an accumulative impact because that is so relevant to, um, you know, the work that we do and, you know, supporting women to, you know, use their businesses as a driving force for good. Mm. Um, and, you know, if we can continue to have positive Im- impact and that becomes accumulative and over time, even though we feel like we're not really moving very far on our impact in the first year or in the first two years, mm-hmm. over time, over 10 years, all of that actually yeah. compresses and, you know, you, you can actually look back and go, look what, we've in- yeah. look what we have achieved. Yeah. Um, so I love that you've described it in that way and it's a really succinct and easy way, I think, for people to mm. uh, understand mm. about having a positive or a negative uh, impact. You know, what you're describing is potentially a negative impact, but where if we can create sustainable land use, that is the positive yeah. uh, outcome oh, yeah. of that. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So I'm sure on your journey to achieving the goals that you've set out uh, and the impact that you're having, there have been a number of trials and tribulations. Would you be open to sharing a few of those, the highs and the lows and everything in between? We want the juice. (laughs) I'll I'll pick a couple because there's probably many, but there's, you know, there's often those reoccurring ones that really, that bite hardest. And um, I think for me personally, you know, I'd always been employed, you know, I'd always had great jobs um, and fantastic roles. And so financial security and certainty just was never an issue. So I left my general manager role environment at Central Plains um, about three years ago to take on this challenge. And and, um, from day one, I was 100% dedicated to driving it and delivering on that vision. Um, So at the time, we had four co-founders, and now we have two additional team members. So we were a startup, completely startup, had no money. <laughs> and so I think um, I learned very quickly just how challenging it is to turn a really amazing big vision into action, you know, and that central core of financial certainty being so important because, you know, how do you run a business if you, if you can't survive? So I think that, you know, being in that hot seat as the person dedicated 100% of my time and bootstrapping, it gets very uncomfortable very quickly. And so I learned a lot about myself and my own resilience. And I also learned that often those dark days that you have because, you know, oh my God, where's the, you know, this is not financially viable, blah, blah, blah. Um, It's interesting when I look back on the many times I've had that thought and how the walls have closed in around me you pop out the other end and you realise actually a lot of it you create in your head because you have an expectation of what it should be look like, it should look like. And I think, you know, I haven't come unstuck, you know, we're fine. And I just think, you know, you just work harder, you have to work smarter, you have to think more creatively about how to leverage what you have created to create more. Um, And so I think, that's one of the things. Yes, financial certainty has been a challenge, but it's it's also often being um, something that I've probably scaled up in my head more than what I needed to. So that's one learning or trial or tribulation. <laughs> and the other one I think um, has been really interesting um, is when you're doing something, um, you have that vision that is, is it has so many parts to it, you know, so many pieces to the puzzle. Um the challenge is bringing people along with you on the journey. So I'm one of those people that has, I can see very clearly in my head that the finished, you know, vision, you know, probably being an architecture and landscape architecture, historically, I'd create spaces. I can do the walkthrough as if it's built. So I have that ability to see it finished. And my problem is I go too fast and I expect people to keep up with me around the big idea. And so I've learned actually, I've got to, slow down you know and and figure out how to bring people along with me at a pace that is meaningful to them you know we're disrupting the current model so it's big stuff and many people find it difficult to get their head around you know what we're doing Um, and so learning to break our story down into chunks and show how the pieces are all connected um, you know simplifying that complexity is um and, and as you sort of talked before about that first point I made, it's that cumulative effect. So you've got to start to show what's the first step, second step, and then what does that all add up to? And you can start to 
lead them on that journey. So I think that that's, you know, probably being the second and ongoing challenge is bringing people on the journey. Um, but I think that ultimately those two two things result in, for me, um, outcomes have taken a lot longer. I mean, bearing in mind we've only been doing it really. It was three years since the big idea, but, you know, two years since Leafield Innovation was founded. Um, so it's actually not that long. But in my mind, I'd like to get there much quicker. But I think I have learned to be patient, that things take time. There's only 12 months in a year, and that's not very long. Um, but not to be, um, um, you know, not to be disappointed by that. Keep pushing ahead um, because that progress forward is really key to achieving impact. And, I, I, you know, I need to see it um, and feel it moving forward and that we are having impact. So keeping up the enthusiasm has been really important during those times. So I'd love for you to share what purpose means within your organisation. Purpose. Uh, right. Well, so, you know, I guess um, for the organisation, being purpose-led around creating those authentic, so sustainable land uses that really will make a difference to the future for New Zealand is, is really important. Um, and when things get tough, you know, and you have those times where you think this is just really, really hard, you just go back to your purpose and that reinvigorates, you know, um, and reinvigorates and, and refocuses us on what we're actually doing. And it allows us to go, you know, to say no to some things that actually that doesn't align with our purpose or yes to other things. Yes, that does align with our purpose. So you know, having that clear purpose around, um, you know, what we're doing around those land use outcomes for New Zealand is, is really, really critical. And for you, in terms of reinvigorating yourself, do you have any routines or daily rituals that you embed to make sure that you are the best version of yourself or you are the most effective person showing up to the work that you do and to your family? I think there's probably a few things, but over the years, you see that ones that stick, you know, I try new things all the time, but there's certain things that stick and one that's stuck that's been around for quite a long time is I'm always, I'm the list maker and the planner. So I, I have to write things down because I've got so much going on in my head. If I don't write it down, it will fall out. <laughs> so I'm always writing things down and making sure that I, you know, give effect to those when I, you know, wake up in the morning or whatever and get things done. So I'm quite you know, um, big on making lists and planning. Um, so these are in no particular order, but I think also I have found, particularly working in a startup, that um, where your time is not as regular maybe as, as it would be if I was, you know, going to an office every day. Um, exercise is really important and preferably in the morning. You know, I think it's about stimulating your body and keeping your mind fresh and energised. Um and I've found that when I've been super busy or traveling, it can be the first thing that falls off your schedule. And I really pay for it when that happens. So that's that's the second thing I think that's um, really important to embed in a routine. And the third thing is probably kind of a bit random, but um, I'm one of those people that if you looked at my desk right now, I've got paper everywhere, but I know what it all means and, <laughs> and, and what all the piles mean. But my home is really tidy. 
And I always feel that if my home is tidy, then my mind is tidy because I've got the house running like a well-oiled machine. I don't have to worry about home. And it's really funny. I, I just don't like leaving the house in the morning if the beds are not made. And it just probably sounds a bit random, but I just like to know that that's all done and I don't have to think about it. So you know, my kids are becoming quite good at helping out there. Um, yeah, so that's probably quite a random one, but it's something that I've always, you know, I, I guess I grew up in a family of seven and we all had our jobs to do. So it's sort of come forward into my life and my kids' life and, and husband's life as well. There is definitely a psychology behind clutter and order. So you are <laughs> certainly not, you are certainly not alone. I'm sure particularly with women, you are certainly not alone. So in the time of change that we've just been through and experiencing, how did you use that to create new opportunities uh, for left field? Well, it's actually really interesting because, as I said before about bringing people along with you, you know, what's going on around us in our environment or the world resonates. And and often you think, oh, the timing's right. And we've often said with Leftfield Innovations and our purpose that the timing is more right now than ever. And I think with COVID, it's even more right now than ever because people not only are appreciating that New Zealand is a food producing nation, appreciating that we need to ensure we can um, capture more value um, for our economy from what we produce because we, we only feed 35 million people after ourselves, which is like half a percent of the global population. So whilst we're a food producing nation, we're tiny, tiny, tiny in terms of the contribution we make to feeding the world. So we've got to look at how we get as much value as possible. So I think COVID really turned it. It made um, the New Zealand community aware of food production and just how lucky we are to have that resilience here and um, to be self-sustaining sort of in that respect. But I think also it's brought the attention, particularly around supporting business around buy, buy local, you know, buy New Zealand made. And we always, within our left field team, talked about, isn't it funny, you know, often people buy New Zealand made, but it, in, in a food context, it's often the raw materials are not from New Zealand, they're imported. So the whole attention around New Zealand made and New Zealand grown is is something that I think has come out of COVID for us. So it's probably not changed our work as such, but what it's done is it's brought more attention in terms of when we're telling our story, people get it more. So I think that's been really, really helpful for us. Um, and I think that with that appreciation from New Zealanders, you know, and, and we as a country, as food producers, also have a global reputation of trust around how we produce food. So that's a, a brilliant platform for Leafield Innovation and other food companies to, to, to really leverage and build on going forward. You mentioned before about contribution. Where will you focus your contribution and impact in the next 12 months? Well, I think the net, where we are at now for Leafield Innovation is we are just in the early stages of developing our first food product concept with the full farm-to-plate traceability, uh, where we can link the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals around production um, to that food. So we're really, really excited about that, and that will give us our first sort of exemplar of how to do this from the farm right through to the plate. Um, so I think bringing the last three years' work together 
is is the is what will be happening in the next twelve months. You know, we've been dealing with parts of the uh, value chain and supply chain um, over the last two years, and, and and going forward, it's really now about bringing that all together um, uh, in the form of that food product that really tells that authentic story. So I think. Um, that's really, really exciting for us. And personally, I'm also involved in um, an initiative. I'm an um, inaugural champion of the um, New Zealand um, United Nations Sustainability Development Goal 12.3, which is um, champions of food waste reduction. So I joined that earlier this year, which is super exciting and really looking at how we can reduce food waste across the supply chain in New Zealand. And of course, the COVID has shone the torch on the importance of food redistribution uh, within our communities to feed people. So I'm learning a whole bunch of uh, new you know, insights from being involved in that group. And, and I can see how that can influence um, what we're doing at Leafield Innovation as well. So I'm really excited to see how we can thread that in a food waste reduction at a, at a, from a grower end into our uh, work going forward. We've only recently defined our top five UN Sustainable Development Goals, being around quality education, gender equality, good health and well-being, partnerships to support uh, and achieve those goals, and decent work and economic growth. Have you been able to define your top five, or have you just got a few uh, that you're focused on? Oh, look, I think for us, it's it's all the environmental-based ones in the in the in the um, immediate term around life on land. You know, perhaps not so much life uh, in water. We're not really dealing with the aquaculture side of things at this at this stage. But certainly, um, health and well-being is 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 important as well, um, and partnerships is definitely important too. So I think we've there's about nine of the SDGs that are relevant to our work, and we're just working through at the moment to look at how they link through almost you know at a policy level to to the work that we're doing. Uh, I spoke to Bridget Williams, who was really one of the first people that had introduced me uh, to the sustainable development goals. And one of her key sayings is become a sustainable development goal and SDGs nerd. Um, so I'm in the midst of becoming nerdy about the about the goals and really digging deep into them to actually unpack the layers uh, and how we can truly impact uh, and move those forward. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, they've been adopted by over 200 com- countries around the world. It's an amazing global framework that, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to take a look at something that's got an, an amazing depth to it and look at how we can take it on in our own organisations. So yeah, I think Bridget's doing a great job in, in advocating for the goals and raising awareness. And also it takes that deep dive into your own organisation to really you know, once you actually do understand what the goals are about and how your organisation can actually impact that, it does take some depth to really understand the truth of your organisation and where you can have the most positive uh, impact and the change that you can make towards achieving those yeah. goals as a collective, as a country, yeah. as a as a world, um, that we can all go on that journey together. Yeah, it's a common language and I think the more people that, and more companies that take it on board, the more we can have that conversation using the common language and common reporting, and you know everyone then is on the same page and sort of moving in the in the in in the right direction. So I think it's awesome. So in light of moving in the right direction, what would be your call for action from the entrepreneur women with purpose community? Look, I think that um, 
as a you know uh, an enterprise sort of established to really lift up women I think one of the things I did last year I was a graduate of the 2019 Agri Women's Development Trust Governance and Leadership um, Program I was one of 15 um, and one of the things that I I learned which in some ways I guess you know you hear about it all the time but I think when you've actually gone through it and you've felt that emotional shift it sticks with you and I think you know, all women suffer from the imposter syndrome to some extent. And I think it's particularly women with purpose who are working to achieve impact. Um, you often we're more self-critical and drive quite hard. And so I think the call to action for entrepreneurial women with purpose community would be um, is, is to allow and encourage vulnerability um, because that's hard. I think being vulnerable is, is hard, um, but it's where real leadership um, is centered and it demonstrates you know kind of the core of our humanness and then I think what it does when you're vulnerable it shows others around us that it's not a weakness um, that it's a strength um, and it creates um, I, I certainly experienced on the program it, when we all went around the table and we you know didn't know each other but within a, a day we'd gone through this process it allowed us to feel really safe um, and connected deeply so that we could then go forward and really support each other in ways, um, in all sorts of ways with our own growth and development and lifting each other up and keeping each other accountable. So I think, you know, at the centre of the entrepreneurial woman with purpose community would be around allowing that safe space for being vulnerable, but being really supported and lifting each other up. Mm. And so would that be an action that they could take away in terms of embedding that into their organisation, much like what you did with the Agri-Women's yeah, Development I, Trust and being able to go around the table yeah. on that topic of vulnerability? How would they actually action that in their well, organisation? I, I think it's, for me, I think if someone said to me, you know, um, you know, create a little sort of uh, get-together with your team and, you know, action, demonstrate vulnerability, I would have gone, What? I do think um, for people in, in leadership roles or in teams that if they are able to be part of a development program that focuses on, you know, identifying your purpose, understanding your intra and interpersonal skills and self-awareness and knowing yourself and your blind spots, I think that is the starting point because that is so massively revealing, like it or not. <laughs> it's revealing in good ways. You learn about your strengths that maybe. You were, you were blind to because they come easily and maybe you were blind to some of your weaknesses. So I think once you, you have that really solid foundation, you can then build on top of this. And I think there's no shortcut for actually going through that process yourself. Uh, and then whether you facilitate that then with your team or get somebody in to facilitate it in your organisation with your team to have them go through it I think they have to you know really experience that firsthand. Well thank you so much for you being vulnerable and sharing your world and your truth and all of your layers uh, with our community of entrepreneurial women with purpose. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks Kath, I appreciate the time. Just like the founding origins of entrepreneurial women with purpose, Rind was born and bred in Marlborough, New Zealand and has the values of locally made goodness, no mass production, hand-picked fabrics and most importantly, functional yet stylish designs sewn into the brand DNA. 
Although a fashion business was never part of the plan for founder Hayley Rind, she now finds time to balance her love of being farmside and designing active and athleisure wear. Good health and well-being are top priorities for Rind and entrepreneur women with purpose, which makes us a perfect brand fit. Rind is a founding sponsor of Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose. Check out rind.nz.